really useful to respect the transition process of settling in, including walking into the room and seeing your sitting place and then coming into your posture. And we can make it a really beautiful, mindful ritual. And this helps us to uproot that tendency to rush or be disconnected, always thinking that it's later when it will be important to be mindful. And then even once you're sitting, taking the time, listen to the body, especially the places where you tend to hold unnecessary tension and remind the body to relax, that it's okay to soften, to yield to gravity. And so the intention to be alert and awake, it can express itself subtly in the body. We don't need to make the body rigid or tight. The intention to be right in the middle of our experience has this sense of integrity or alignment. But we don't have to be at war with the body. Eyes can be closed. Or if it helps, you can keep the eyes open, gazing down toward the floor. (coughs) And it can be useful to review the places where the mind is able to settle. So for example, to open to hearing for a few moments. Remembering that the mind can be open and receptive, allowing the sounds to arise and present themselves here and now in the space of mindfulness. Noticing the quality of resting in the awareness of hearing, being interested in how much energy or effort is required to be open to the experience of hearing.
we can also always return the attention to the experience of the body sitting, sensations here and now, coming and going. And in much the same way, learning to relax right in the middle of this great ocean of sensation coming and going. Not being afraid to be awake and sensitive and perhaps even vulnerable to the way the sensations are now. Is it possible to be undefended with the experience of the body, the sensations that come and go? And you might even notice the great relief, at least in moments of not having to fix the body, not having to resist a particular sensation that's unpleasant or hold on to the pleasant sensations, but just to allow the sensations to be nature, to come and go And you might notice that simply being with the sensations in this way can be a real expression of compassion. Just this willingness to be open, allowing sensations to be the way they are. And we also have the breath as a place to return the attention, to stabilize, balance the attention as needed. So we can just remember this place, returning the attention here for a moment or two. This natural process, this natural movement of sensation in the body that we call the breath. Allowing the breath to express itself as it is now, 
And again, you can notice the relief of not needing to control the breathing process. And we're breathing in a natural way. We're letting go of any particular strategies or yogic breathing practices we've learned. And we're trusting the body to breathe. And in this way, the breath is quiet usually, not audible even to ourselves or those near us. We can learn many things from mindfulness of breathing. It can remind the mind that it's possible to be interested in what's ordinary. It can remind the mind that it's possible to sustain attention, this quality of not forgetting. So for a few more moments, let's just use the breath for this reason or these reasons. Notice this capacity to be interested in this ordinary process of breathing. Interested enough to sustain the attention continuously, all the while not needing to control the breath. Grateful for these ways that we have to settle the mind, stabilize the mindful attention. All of this is in the service of the heart being open to whatever comes and goes, the predominant experiences that arise and pass away. So you can continue mindfulness of your breathing or the body or hearing, but allow the attention to notice when predominant experiences arise. 
And in particular, notice how the mind relates with or without attachment, with or without fear, aversion. And in particular today, noticing the experience of dukkha, the causes of dukkha, noticing the wanting mind, the aversive mind, the dull mind, the restless mind, and the mind under the influence of doubt. And see if you can relate to these hindrances with a compassionate, wise attention. Oh, it's the wanting mind. It's like this now. Can this be okay? In the heart, let this be, so that the wanting, this quality of the mind, can express itself and be understood. It's not self, it's an expression of nature or an expression of the conditioned mind. It's unpleasant like this. So we learn that when we attach or identify with the hindrances, things get tight. When the mind is wise and compassionate with the hindrances, things unfold with greater ease. So we'll continue in silence now.
Yeah, so we'll just keep sitting while we take care of this. Like she'll be okay. So we'll go ahead and take some time for questions about your practice. To remind them that Chris is a nurse. Yeah. Most people maybe have seen Chris around, but anyway, Chris is a nurse and is also one of the support staff here with Jem. So, questions about your practice? Okay, so she says she's been having intense or impactful dreams. And the question is, how do you handle, not so much the dream, I'm assuming, but coming out of the dream? And, uh, you know, in the moment that we're back awake, and then there's all this, usually all this emotional content, plus maybe some of the images or ideas that were part of the dream, they may still be coming and going in the mind. But you can just uh, practice as if you were sitting fully awake and a lot of emotional content came up right in that moment. And like, for example, one of the things I noticed coming out of a dream, especially a really impactful dream, is there's a sense of wanting to go back to it, maybe to understand it or to let it complete itself or something like that. But in the context of our practice, that's wanting. Not bad, but it's just wanting. So to notice the attachment to the content, attachment to understanding the content of the dream or the meaning of the dream. And again, this investigation or this opening doesn't mean that 
the dream and the content of the dream wasn't like that reorganization or that sort of expression of the inner life of the mind doesn't mean it wasn't important or that that the information or the even the feelings coming out of the dream they might even change your life but we can still practice the practice won't get in the way of a transforming dream being a transforming dream so we really want to orient toward the practice which is there is this feeling arising in the body and mind and it's like this and then how how to hold it without greed or aversion taking over the mind and if it does then to notice the greed or the aversion the fear that might be there so you could just you don't have even have to get up you could just be lying in bed and then just practice with everything that's moving the sensations in the body the emotional movements of you know emotion content images it's all moving and then there's the mind that's relating to all of that that's moving and to be really interested especially in the mind that's relating to all of that that's moving does that help you can always like later at the end of the retreat you can always bring it back up you know if you feel like something was unfinished talk to a good friend so it's not like you have to uh, that the ideas or the feelings around the dream it's just in the context of the practice or not we don't want to go there now with it we want to deal with it relate to it as if it's experience arising which is what it is so just on that very basic level and that's really what we're learning to trust it's the one of the hardest things about the retreat practice is thoughts are just thoughts emotions are just emotions sensations are just sensations sights and sounds are just that so we're really learning to trust that this is really deeply healing work that we're doing but it doesn't dismiss the other kind of work that we can do it's just that we really appreciate this work and we're setting aside these 9 days for that particular work yeah doesn't sound like a problem <laughs> I mean a couple of th- a couple of thoughts um, when we're abiding in pleasant states you know we always want to maintain the spirit of investigation because they may be relatively pleasant but they may not be entirely pleasant so in some ways it's more challenging to be mindful of pleasant states than difficult painful states you probably already know this but when unpleasant states mental or physical states are arising 
the tendency of the mind is to relate with aversion or fear. So what's the tendency of the mind when are pleasant states? So there may be some attachment or holding to it. Or also a, a particular kind of delusion settles in. When things are really pleasant and tranquil, body feels pretty good, then a very strong, but it's, it's subtle, a very strong conditioned habit of I don't have to practice, right? Because we're feeling good. And generally what motivates our practice is not feeling good. So when we start feeling good, there's a certain, it looks like we're practicing because we're going through the motions, we're showing up for the sits and doing everything we're supposed to do. But there's a subtle quality of the mind of like just hanging out. And so the question is, well, what can the mind be interested in when states are pleasant? Well, you can be interested in the pleasantness. So that's your, that can be, in a sense, your teacher, like being mindful of the pleasantness and the causes and conditions behind the pleasant states of body and mind that are arising, really understanding when does the pleasantness become more refined, more expansive, more light? When does it become more energetic, more still? So you're just noticing the dance of pleasant states and, and how the mind relates to experience affects the pleasantness of the mind. So you can investigate it. And when, and when you really want more dukkha, just sit longer. You know, <laughs> Most of you probably heard the funny story. Uh, Deepama, great uh, matriarch of this lineage of practice, um, and a teacher of Joseph and many others said to Joseph Goldstein once, you should sit for, I think, was it a couple days or two, three days? <laughs> and she meant continuously. <laughs> so I'm not suggesting you sit for three days, but you know, that's one thing you can do. It's just because we learn a lot from physical discomfort. So if you're not getting a lot of physical discomfort, then sit a little bit longer until you're right at the edge with the, the strength of the unpleasant sensations are matching the steadiness of the mind. And then when you're constantly losing the steadiness because the intensity of the discomfort is so much, then that's a good time to change the posture quietly if the sit isn't over or stand if you need to or whatever you need to do because you don't want to just practice struggling. But it is nice to find the edge from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, so he's talking about working with pain, if you didn't hear him, and about where you place your attention with the pain and bringing up some of the comments I made last night about um, this tendency I noticed in my mind, and I've had a lot of physical discomfort over the years, where I mistakenly think, well, I'll just surrender to the pain. It's like, 
I know I can't beat it. I know I can't make it go away. And I know, you know, superficially, I know, I thought I knew that ultimately I have to surrender. So there's this using surrender, but it's really masquerading. Um, There's really aversion behind the surrender. It's like, okay, just take me away. I give up. But that's not being interested in the pain. So I think really the answer to your question or your comment is like discovering how, how the heart, mind, can be interested in the experience as it's presenting itself. And often, most often, it has to do with being not in a hurry, and, and especially with physical pain, because the tendency is to be tight. It's a combination of being soft and interested, because we know the, the mind is in balance, because insight will only come if the mind is in balance if it can open to or allow the pain to come in. So there has to be a meeting. I think Kamala mentioned, you know, just this rubbing. But the image, you know, it's just an image, but the idea is there's not a defense there with the pain. So somehow, and it, there's, this is a creative process with each mind, the given the way our minds are conditioned. We have to find a way to connect and as we're connecting, we have, to be, we have to remain interested because there may be subtle ways of not connecting, of being defensive, having a stance, being in a hurry that we're not yet seeing. So we need that humility that we may, it's very easy for us to assume I'm with the pain, you know. But when we're really with the pain, things open up generally. It doesn't mean the physical problem disappears that's causing the pain. But the heart gets transformed in the opening completely, in that process of opening completely. So if if there's still a sense of somebody suffering, somebody who doesn't like this pain, then we should just assume we're not seeing everything yet. And that humility I find really helpful. Like, I know I haven't completely done my work here in this moment. And that keeps me interested and basically wondering what is it that the heart or mind isn't yet seeing, isn't yet experiencing, that's here and now. I don't have to go anywhere else. It's right here and now, but hasn't, in a sense, come online, hasn't opened up yet. So humility is a good thing with pain. Yeah. So she's talking about an experience arising that the mind doesn't know. And uh, you didn't use the word confusion, but doesn't have a name for it, can't recognize it. And then she notices that the mind can go into delusion or distraction because of that. And this is uh, really at the heart of our practice. Not so much the actual naming of the experience, but the clear recognition. So the naming or the noting is a skillful means that some people use. It can be very useful at times, if not continuously. Other people don't use it much at all. But whether we mentally note or not, we need to recognize the experience. You don't need to have a name for it, but you have to recognize it. And part of that, 
the trick of recognizing it is this faith that there's always something that's predominant. There's always something that's arising or the heart, the mind is experiencing something in this moment. And, and this is the great thing. And it's like this. So there's never really a problem of, it's never a problem with the object, like that it's so obscure or subtle. The problem is really a matter of trust, like trusting the direct seeing, the direct knowing of it. So in terms of mental noting, what's helped me is even to use a word like this. This is happening. This is how it is. So I use that a lot. Um, and, um, and then just to have a sense of the space of the body and mind, the sense of the present moment as this space of the body and mind here. And so when I use a label like this, this is being known, this is how it is, then I've trained my mind now, then it knows this. It knows the quality of the body and mind in this moment, and it's satisfied that, not always, of course, but more and more, it's satisfied that this is what needs to be known. And uh, one of my Burmese teachers, Saito Ujanaka, used to say over and over again that, you know, on a foggy, cloudy, let's say, day at dusk, you know, it's not easy to see clearly. But the mind can be clearly aware that it's not easy to see clearly, right? So some objects we just assume uh, we're not doing our job. But it may, we're, may be that we are doing our job, but it's just not what we expected the object to be. So that the object is the lack of clarity or is the confusion or the indistinctness of the body or mental experience in that moment. We need to leave it here. I just want to say a couple words about interviews. Um, Most of you have been in interviews before, but I think the interviews are set for 10 minutes and it's really, we appreciate the three of us if you just help us keep on time so everybody gets their time and we'll have a clock there. And also it's nice to come in, you, you know, it'd be nice if we had a lot of time, but we don't. So it's nice to come in with something, just one thing that is especially relevant in your practice here on retreat that you can say a few words about and then there's time for the teacher to respond uh, to your concern. And of course, if there's extra time, you can bring up something else. But it's good not to have this idea that we're going to be able to cover a lot because then we tend not to cover the one thing that might be most important in your practice. So wishing everybody a good day of practice.